Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, Chris shares his path from the University of Zurich to working in City's London office for 14 years. Listen to hear his recruiting advice, what it was like when the great financial crisis hit when he was an analyst in 2008, what that meant to his future, how his roles and pay shifted as he got promoted, as well as some do's and don'ts while networking. Enjoy. Chris, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Hi, Patrick. Good to speak to you today. So it'd be awesome if you could give the listeners a short summary bio. Sure. Uh, my name's Christopher Wickley. Uh, I'm, I was a director at uh, Citi um, after 14 years of experience at Citigroup um, in equity capital markets um, covering uh, Northern Europe. Uh, prior to that, I also worked and studied. Uh, at the same time, I uh, finished my degrees at the University of Zurich in Switzerland in 2007, joined directly Citi in the, um, in the grad program. Um, and next to my studies, I was working at a firm called Kepper Equities, which uh, came out of Julius Baer, a Swiss private bank in the brokerage division and in, in, in brokerage and equity research. Um, so um, basically, to this day today, I just left Citi, um, an opportunity to speak uh, a bit about the industry uh, for you guys and maybe give a bit some insights into uh, what a career in investment banking means. For sure. I really appreciate you taking the time. So let's go all the way back to uh, the University of Zurich. And are you from right. are you from Zurich or from the area? And did yeah. you always, was finance ever on the radar? Because I know you're a political science history archaeology major, which is very different. So tell me how you ended up at City first and kind of just a little bit more about your background growing up. Sure. Um, look, Patrick, I think it's, um, yes, I think so. Uh, I, uh, I, I'm Swiss. Um, but spent a number of years abroad growing up. Um, that's why you most probably won't discern much of a, an accent in my, in my, uh, in my English. Um, but internationality was always quite important for me. Um, and second thing for me, I think uh, also important was, uh, you know, I grew up at home. My dad um, was a banker um, for a number of years internationally too, then back in Switzerland. So I was very um, familiar through friends, family, surroundings with the financial world obviously as a swiss you know private banking is a, is a big industry um and definitely felt that that was the way i was going to head at some point um my first experience was um at julius bear uh back in 2000 2001 
um, where I finished my high school, Karl Gymnasium, did my maturation or matura, and, and headed to work at Judas Bear, first in payments um, and uh, transaction services, then working on a cash desk, again, all organized directly with Judas Bear. Um, and then I was transferred into one of the private banking teams to, to work on their desk as an assistant. All pre-studies gave me a great overview. I felt, you know, this is the way to go um, and love that I love the financial industry because of the internationality. Clients were all uh, Asia, uh, Far Eastern, uh, US clients back then. Um, and yeah, there was a, there were some good experiences there that also showed to me that I did enjoy the world and, you know, private banking is a lot. And I know there's an investment banking podcast, but just to touch oh, on it's it, fine. We, we talk about all finance careers. So this is good. <laughs> oh, very good. Well, yeah. private banking Swiss obviously is, is such a long tradition, but there's a big service mentality behind it. And, um, tell me about that. We, we don't, we haven't had a podcast, you know, talking about private banking. I don't think we know a lot, obviously. You know, tell, I don't know much about Julius Baer. I'd love to hear more yeah. about that. And just yeah. specifically, it sounds like you were doing kind of internships correct. after high school or during high school. After high school, before university, correct. Before university. So, Great. Yeah. Can you tell me about that? And was it sure. just through family connections that you landed it, or how did you get that? No, no, that was purely applied directly into different um, into different HR departments. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always just very interested in getting ones to work. Obviously, 18, you finish your uh, your high school, you want to do something. Um, and uh, banking was definitely going to be a way I felt I needed to test it and look what, what, what it's about. Uh, Judas Bear is a, was a family-owned back then um, private bank, you know, about 2,000 employees. Um, very traditional, very, though very close. So people are very close to each other. Everybody knew everybody within the departments. It was actually quite a good place to get to learn the industry a bit, meet people, learn the terminology, the, the words and all that. But it's also a place where I learned that um, private banking was not going to be my future. Um, it, was, it was fun. It was interesting. Um, again, I enjoy the client interactions and let's not forget this is why Swiss private banking at its, at its peak. So we're talking, um, you know, full discretion, uh, you know, uh, secrecy, etc. So you, you had to have a super level of maturity and professionalism from begin on. Um, and, and I learned the ropes there very well. Um, I started off also in the payments department. So that's, you know, just to set the baseline there, right? Um, this is not day one, here's a client, you deal with them. You know, my first deal, first few days were spent entering payments into the system. But also what it did was ultimately, and that's for all of you out there who are worrying, you know, should I do a middle office, back office job to get to know the industry? Do it, because what you learn is a lot about how a bank works, you know, just being able to understand what a SWIFT is, what a what a, um, uh, you know, how payment system works, how matching works, you know, all these kind of elements. These are very, very useful uh, skills that help you understand the broader context always. Um, and then as I worked through the cash desk there, so first payments and then the payments people put me for a month at the main office on the main shopping street there, Bahnhofstrasse, on the cash desk. So literally, you know, access to the treasure, getting cash ready, all these kind of jobs, but also menial stuff, you know, like filling up the uh, the cash machines, you know. Um, but it's all stuff that has to happen, and it was all great experiences to learn and do and and learn a lot about processes. Um, 
But, and then from there, I was moved into uh, for three months as a kind of a, a backup assistant to, to, to the North American Far Eastern team, dealing with, you know, a high net worth individuals um, there that were, that were banking offshore, uh, which, which obviously now has ended in Switzerland due to a, um, a significant pushback on, on that. Uh, but it was an interesting experience because, again, there we all we were ultimately operating. For people who aren't familiar, what's happened? Can you give a little bit of a history? Sure, yeah, sure. For the younger so, audience, so Swiss, sure, sure, sure. Switzerland's always been a um, tax haven, obviously, in as far as tax avoidance, not tax dodging. So avoidance um, was was seen as you know really a uh, you know a bad uh, thing to do, or definitely not something criminal. Um, and and some banks have specialized or were able to help um, uh, people or would let's put this very delicately looked away um, from from potentially um, some some uh, how clients made their money uh, and and again how how they were treated with the tax with the tax system so all that came to more or less a fall in the mid two thousands and has now progressed into a completely different Swiss banking system which is much more cautious about it, a lot more clear clarity around um, individuals, uh, beneficial owners. So it's not too easy, for example, to just bring up a trust and say, we're not going to tell you who's behind the trust. You actually have to give beneficial owners out there. So um, when I started- And this was just because people, initially people were just using it as a tax haven, a way to avoid taxes here in the US, everywhere, abroad, everywhere. Well, again, it's it's the tax haven story, right? So, So people would have a numbered account, Put the money into Switzerland, not declare it anywhere. Right. Uh, and again, the banks in Switzerland were just cautious of, or not digging too much into that. Right. Um, but well, that, it, that it, really it paid t- them not to look too much into it for a long time, right? It's good. It's good to have that balance, right? It, um, it's so. it's it's changed a lot, and I think a lot has that also has to do, obviously, with the developments of the two thousands, right? Uh, money streams. Obviously, was there a certain kind of like foot that dropped at a certain date that was like that was it? That was the death of. Obviously, now we're talking about banking history in Switzerland yeah. more than my career, uh, but that was that was in 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 those days, and and I think I wouldn't say you know any of that was was an impact, but I just realized what I dealt with was individuals ultimately, yeah. right? So people, high net worth individuals, it's one person's money, maybe their family's money, and it was personal. So I I, I realized you know I don't want to be part of that. I I preferred. The professional services that you offer when working investment banking, when you're working with 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 um, institutional clients. Did you so, know that? Did you know that when you were doing kind of when you were working with the individuals, were you immediately like, oh, this indiv- working with individuals is not so good. Let me go to investment banking or equity capital. Did you know that at the time? I I didn't really realize it too much. I think it was a sense for me that I didn't want to work necessarily with individuals. Um, and so I progressed with my career. So I did my military service, came back to university. Um, I was dabbling a bit with, uh, with uh, economics and business um, and then started off my first job in, in brokerage. And again, in brokerage, I ended up in the middle office as a student job, you know, 40, 50% after, after uni. And again, Switzerland's a bit different maybe than the US, but maybe closer to, to, to Germany or the UK where you can actually do other jobs next to it because you can you can organize your time a bit better. Um, so I'd spend three four hours a day uh, entering trades into the into the databases into the into the into the systems because back then not everything was electronic yet. So the salespeople would still fill in individual buy sell sheets, 
hand them to the middle office and we'll obviously process the, the trades and get everything set up for settlement. And again, there uh, you learn a lot about the settlement system. You learn about the trading system. You have interaction with the middle offices at other trading houses, banks, et cetera. So uh, a lot of good experience collected over the years. Um, and then I did that about for an year and that team said, look, you're a Julius Baer again in the brokerage team. You're great. You should move into research. And then I transferred into research where I spent the next four years really, uh, you know, working from, you know, writing sections of reports, definitely working on all of the models, uh, doing research for the analysts. This is all while you're still in uni though. This is all. That's all while I'm at uni, which is obviously. 10 hours a week, 20 hours. What are we talking here? Did you all We're talking, time? well, it, it depended obviously in, in the summer breaks, that would be a full-time job. We're going right. direction 50, 60 hours a week. Yeah. Um, and during, you know, the busy phases, obviously it was back down to, you know, uh, two, three hours a day or two days a week, something like that. So I was paid 40% and, and that was working around that level. So you were um, paid, sorry. Oh, paid 40%. No, uh, for, for 40%. So full-time, not, not a full-time job, but got 40% it, got job. It, got ultimately. And so this was, is this typical to be at a firm kind of throughout your university? I mean, for four years, right? Um, and I know you got a master's and stuff, but yeah, well, it, it isn't a very typical thing. And, and obviously everything changes depending on Bologna and other, you know, on, on the curricula you have. But I think the, the big question, I think maybe this is, you know, the kind of the, um, the, the takeaway from this, because everybody's experience is different, but there is no merit in just pushing through directly with three years of university or four years of university, if you have the opportunity to do other stuff on the side. So if you're doing, let's say, 20 points a, a semester uh, and somebody else does 30 points a semester, but you can do 20 points and work on the side, that's not necessarily a bad thing to do. Um, at some point, people don't care how long you studied. At some point, people don't count up those years and say, hey, you should have done it three and a half or four years or four and a half, whatever, you know. So, uh, you know, you, you, you yourself need to sort out, um, you know, what works for you. Um, in that context. And for me, the practical experience is good. I ended up also switching my major. I moved into political sciences. Um, I was struggling a bit with the exams in business and finance, um, uh, which is a bit shocking that, that obviously now today I work in this field. <laughs> yeah. um, and to this day, obviously, people still ask me, you know, um, uh, you know, how did you end up as an archaeologist, you know, uh, in, in the business? But one way or the other, I think, um, what you can't forget is, is again, uni is a great experience. It's an opportunity to learn something different. The Anglo-Saxon world always allows, um, you know, dabbling with different topics. It doesn't have to be business and finance um, and allows yet still enough chances to be um, studying across different um, uh, subjects. So you ultimately can mix, for example, uh, history with economics and do something in economic history or something like that to build up. Was this base. partly a financial consideration as well? Because you're earning 40% of a full-time yeah. is helping fund it, fund your yeah. university. Because I mean, you're there, you, you had the, I, I know in, in Europe it's different, but you know, the master's, right? So it's typically done in four or five years, right? Uh, Correct. Five years into master. And, and it was, you were there about seven, right? Yeah, exactly. So I started working. off, yeah, I was working, I started off with business and economics. So I lost right. uh, a year and a half on, on that one. Got I it. lost half a year doing my military service in Switzerland, which is compulsory. Yep. So you kind of add up all that together. And there you uh, go. yeah, of course, there we go. It's seven years is, is not a bad thing. I think the, 
the difference is clearly once you're finished, you come to your first job, you're most probably a bit older than, uh, than your average grad, uh, both in the US or in Europe. Um, and again, banks have a wide range of, of acceptance when it comes to age. Uh, so 25, 26 is not an uncommon age for most of the Europeans to start. So most of the, the guys who were in my analyst class um, were, were, I'd say, from the European side, were on average 25, whereas the UK or US grads were obviously closer to 22, 23. Right. Um, and and that's, that was a clear distinction at the start. So tell me kind of the whole process of, so you're, as you're approaching, you sure. had this equity research position or research assistant position for so many years. Um, tell me yeah. a, a little bit about as you're approaching, finally approaching graduation or finally approaching the enough credits to, to be done. Yeah. If you're a triple major, tell me a little bit about just uh, the recruiting process. Was it, sure. were you thinking, hey, I'm going to go full time in equity research? Yeah, that, that, was, uh, that was definitely one thing. Um, I, I was obviously thinking uh, my employer would give me um, a full time job. Um, I had a famous chat with, uh, with the boss there and I said, listen, so what are we going to do with me? You know, I'm done with my university. My, the, the guy turned around and said to me, uh, what do you mean with that? And I was thinking, oh, so you're not thinking about hiring me full time. And uh, the answer was something along the lines of what were you thinking? Um, and um, so like, I, why I would, turned, like, why would we do that kind of? Uh, why would we do that? Correct. So I was shocked about that, obviously, you know, you spend so much time and all that, but it was a good life lesson. And I'd never forget my, my boss back then, um, um, the analyst who covered healthcare, and I'll never forget her, her words, but she said, you know what, that could be a blessing in disguise because you do not have to take a decision here. Somebody has taken the decision for you. You know where you are. That means you can move on, right? Yeah. Um, and I'll never forget that because obviously disappointment was big. And, and so I started going into the interview process. Um, the interview process is interesting because obviously in Germany, Switzerland, typically if you don't have a business or finance degree, a lot of people question why. They don't look necessarily at the, um, yeah. at the job experience and yeah, vice versa. How do you even get the interviews? I guess that, that internship did help, obviously. For its- uh, well, pe- exactly. People were looking at it and saying, look, you were a full or half partial part-time employee, so you definitely built up some knowledge base, but then decisions were taken and, and typically went for grads with a finance degree, but maybe you know less experience. Uh, my experience, though, with the London, New York um, banks, you know, was much more positive. So I interviewed, I put forward, I think, I think January. So I, was, I wasn't even fully aware about the interview cycles. You know, um, Patrick, your website didn't exist yet. So there was no chance to really dig into. Um, I think we had just started. Somewhere. I think we oh, just 15 exactly. years ago. It was like, oh, say we were tiny. Yeah. <laughs> we were At the point tiny. in time. Where, where it was hard, where nobody really knew what to look for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because definitely I, I heard about you guys the first time when I actually got to the analyst um, the training uh, and we were checking out some of the, the forum at that point. But look, uh, no, you know, we didn't, I didn't see much information, didn't understand the whole you know, hiring cycles and all that. And then they were looking off cycle for a analyst in the equity capital markets team with German language skills. I fit them all perfectly at City. Uh, it was literally my first, I think, um, application and interview. Um, and at the same time, Deutsche was looking also for, I think, a big analyst. Uh, and I applied for that one as well. Uh, I was invited to interview for both, but I had the city one, I think, a week before the other. Um, and uh, so I did my telephone interviews with uh, the head of 
of uh, German ECM back then, um, and then invited for the Super Day and individual interviews also with the, um, the head of ECM uh, and the co-head um, of, of Northern Europe, etc. So um, that happened relatively quickly. So I even got to the point where I was offered a job by City before I had a chance even to go to the Deutsche interview, at which point I just said, look, I got an American bank, I got an offer, I'm happy with it. It's an equity capital markets, which you know, I've all done all of my career basically in equity. So it's a place I feel comfortable in. Um, that, was that, in the, that was in the London office, correct? That was in the London office, correct, yeah. And then um, hired directly to start in the analyst class of 2007. Um, which was an interesting experience, and I'll, I'll come to that again. Being an off-cycle means you weren't in the previous intern class. Mm. That means you didn't know the people from the previous internship class, uh, you know, the summer analysts of, of 2006. Uh, you didn't know the in institution. You didn't know anybody there apart from the people you interviewed with. So um, getting into the analyst class really was that great icebreaker day one. You know, here are 100 other analysts. And was, we were 100 in 2007. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in city summer, uh, before Alice everything cr cratered, but yeah, <laughs> correct. Correct. Um, and then get, got to meet, uh, you know, a bunch of people from all over the world. And, and that was, I think one of the really truly most inspiring experiences of my life. You know, a lot of people say that, but it, it, it was, it made a big impact because suddenly there are a hundred people with you five, six weeks, all of you starting at the same time, everybody else is starting in London. Um, uh, everybody embarking basically on the careers. Um, yes, there's a lot of parting going on the first few weeks, which is obviously good. Um, and this, but there's also some true, you know, social bonding then that, that, that these are people that you will see repeatedly through your careers. Um, and which, uh, which if you a lot are of training, a lot of training, so you guys are stuck in the, uh, you know, classroom together, but then you go out after. Yeah, exactly. And, and listen, you have a project in the last week where you spend your first all nighter at, at work, which is, which is really fun and weird, but if you've never done it before, and obviously a summer analyst from the previous year did so, um, but it was a great experience obviously to start realizing, okay, I'm part of this now. Um, now we work all together and you know what, you're not the only one there at four o'clock in the morning, finishing a book. So all that things came together in the first, um, in the first week and it was a, it was a great experience. So um, did you know I you did, were, sorry to interrupt, do you know you were going ECM, right? Did they have their, yes. Yeah. I was, I was a direct hire for ECM. Direct for, typical. Is that typical or, um, so it groups? was unique, I think, because they were looking for somebody specific. They were typically looking for roughly five or six analysts and, and per year uh, back then. And then in this case, there was a clear request for a German speaking analyst to join the team. And I was lucky enough to, to fall into that. Um, I would say today's practice is more, uh, City changed a lot after that. So they merged the um, ECM, DCM, Leffen teams into capital markets, capital markets origination. And then from about 2009 onwards until about well, until about now, uh, to be honest, I'm not too sure exactly what the latest developments are, but until now, everything was hired, you know, for capital markets directly, and then you rotated within capital markets. Very so cool. um, that was definitely a, a change in, in, in hiring. So you're hired, you didn't have the summer internship before, but you still felt like you bonded with a lot of your yes. fellow, fellow and new analysts. Tell me a little bit right. about those first few months on the job in terms yeah. of 
Um, was it an immediate ramp up of, you know, long hours or was it, oh, yeah. you feel like <laughs> given you were a little more seasoned, yeah. you could handle it or tell me a little bit about that, that whole transition for you. Cause you, yeah, you were uh, a little older, right. Than some of them. Yeah. Well, yes, I'd say so. Yeah. I'd, I'd say on, on a, a slightly one of the older ones in the class, but not the oldest, definitely. So, um, but, but I think there, there are two elements I think that come out of it. Number one, um, was I used to working late? Yes, from university, definitely. You know, that's the thing I, I thrived at, you know, excelled at that, that pushing through the night and, and working on a, on, a, on a report, on a paper, something like that for, for universities. And to be honest, I'm a bit of a, a last minute person. So, you know, it would be most of my fault for that, but that's a, that's a separate debate. Number two, I think the, um, the ramp up or the shock I expected it, you know, and I think the, the, the key message there is you're coming into this industry, there is automatically kind of an expectation of long hours, long work, and not necessarily because something's inefficient, just because it's the way we work together. So you have multiple teams on transaction, multiple teams on pitches, everybody needs to go through their own cycles, finish paperwork multiple hierarchies to go through the people to sign off on, on the elements and it just takes its time um and i think uh in, in reality yes it would be great if we're all done at midnight uh typically that's just not always the case and i think you know in my first week clearly until it worked i was out by seven and i think from my second week on uh, i was pushing past dinner into into the midnight hours uh grabbing a cab around you know, midnight, 12.30 on average. Uh, and then the first few already, you know, two, three o'clocks in the morning that that came around uh, soon afterwards. But um, again, I think the one factor that, that changes that is, um, you know, the banter, the camaraderie of everybody being, being there at the same time, mm -hmm. um, which is clearly an experience people don't have in today's world, right? We're all in Europe. Some people call it bullpen. Basically, the desks are there for the analysts, and you know you'd see other people are there. You don't feel alone. Um, and I think today's world, where obviously everybody's stuck at home um, on Zooms or or not, or just emails, you feel much more isolated from all that. So every time you do see um, you know seniors in, in Wall Street comment of getting back people back to work, yeah, there's there's clearly an element there of of that. Yeah, we've that, seen that we've seen work across. from home, work from home be pretty. Um dramatic dramatic negative impact on everyone's psyche including the analysts and associates and this the survey we conducted uh i think a month ago or two you know kind of piggybacking off what the 13 analysts did at goldman uh, illustrated that it was it was bad especially for first years not even not as much for second years because they had that relationship yeah uh, so it'll be interesting to see how this summer goes and how, what the what the yeah. difference is based on like some that are still virtual versus not but Exactly. Yeah. So you're you're kind of you're ramped up quickly. Um, tell me a little bit about how things progressed through your first kind of few sure. years, and then did you know you were going to stay on? You know, after working so many hours in your analyst years, or was it was ECM like a pretty rigorous team? Were you guys doing? I mean, I assume you were super busy, but just give me a little bit about. Um, great financial crisis happened, so like yeah, got scary at a certain points. That, that that was I think uh, that was definitely a, a surprise. So. Um, you know, um, looking back, I think admittedly, I didn't really get what was coming, you know, and back in 2007, 
you would you'd look at some strategy reports, people are talking about credit crunch, tightening of credit. And then in the beginning of 2008, uh, Bear Stearns um, collapsed and, and was sold to, um, I think, JP back then for, I think it was initially first a dollar and then it went for $6. Um, and I think there was quite a big shock. People, you know, people would say, oh my God, that's the start of, uh, you know, a proper crisis. And as a you know, first year analyst, you just look at it and go like, really? I mean, you know, is it that bad? Everything seems to be still working. And then through the summer, it became clear something serious was going on. Something serious was going on. And I do remember, obviously, um, I think it was September 15 in 2008, looking across the street to Lehman, seeing people come out, you know, people in meeting rooms across the street. And then we were in our own meeting room um, talking about, you know, what this, what this means. And clearly, the, the message was, you know, be there for your clients, be smart, learn a lot, and and uh, and share that information. And um, so during that time, you know, I was much more of a sponge rather than doing a lot. Clearly, the IPO market was closed; markets were partially in free fall, mm-hmm. um, and we were starting to already look at what the impact would be for a lot of the banks um, in in Europe and covering Germany, Switzerland, Austria. Um, you know, it was a big focus on clearly what was happening in Germany, um, what was impacting the Swiss banks, and and just really trying to keep up with with some of the latest news around that. Did you think you're, that there would be cuts coming through to the analyst level at all, or were there cuts? Um, I assume there were some cuts, or no? I, yeah, so I think in, back in September, it was, I think people were still unclear, you know, and I think uh, there were some weekends you felt you're not sure if, you know, the bank itself would be impacted or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of news happened on the weekends, clearly, because that was the only time markets were closed and a lot of decision makers could, could just really work through that. Um, yeah, and then at, at some point, clearly the news came through, cuts were you know, going to happen. And then uh, back in, uh, I think it was about November, the rumor mill turned into redundancies will happen. And then I think it was the beginning of December when these were announced and uh, that was uh, that were some really dark days there because uh, they were i think 25 or 30% yeah, of the team's cut, cut huge yeah. cuts and really significant really impact on the floor um, and people being just called on the desk said come to the meeting room and and uh, you know sorry to let you go kind of situations um, our christmas party was relatively um, dark then and i remember uh clearly there was nothing done externally and it was organized by one of the senior mds in his place which was actually a very nice touch um just to make a point about you know this is about holding together and and being part of a family mm-hmm. almost rather than uh, you know um just canceling completely so um but then uh, you know dark days also mean sometimes opportunities um uh, the team structure changed. Uh, I was basically now working directly with an MD. Mm-hmm. Um, and that obviously gave me a lot of opportunity too, because now between me and the MD, there were no people in between. Meant yeah. I had to be associate VP and director as well as analyst <laughs> at the same time. Luckily, um, you were a little bit older. You were ready for it. Now. <laughs> I, was, I was ready for it. <laughs> you're, exactly. only year, you're only a year in. Right when this all happened, I was I was a year in, and that was obviously around you know one and a half years in now when when everything changed a bit. Right, but but that still meant you know put your sleeves up, 
uh, and start working. And were, were bonuses just completely just zeros across the board? No, 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 no. They were they were there. Obviously, were and there. analysts are always taken care of. You know, it's not yeah. something. At the end of the day, you know, it's it's a it's a small amount yeah. for for analysts to to worry about. So um, they weren't really affected. Yes, of course, numbers were down. Do you, do you down. remember around what it was? It oh have- yeah, I do. I do. I think in my first year it was. Um, but then again, the bases were also much, much lower. So uh, your listeners should should uh, should look at TCOM <laughs> well, numbers. Yeah. What was the? Yeah. Well, I mean, if inflation too, right? Uh, but what were the? Yeah. What were the? Um, what was the base? So, so I think the base was. I started with thirty six uh-huh. uh, pounds, thirty six thousand yep. pounds. Yeah. And I think I made a thirty five or thirty six bonus in the first year, so about oh, seventy two or something. Almost like a hundred percent bonus. Hundred percent. So that was that was that was a top performer first year. That's amazing. Second year was a top performer, and I think it went up from thirty six to like forty or forty five, mm-hmm. and then made I think it was about twenty five or twenty eight, something like that. Yeah. So it went down, even though just it went it, down just exactly crisis. Exactly. Exactly. So. Yeah. It was definitely a, a fraction of the of the. Um, but the fact that you didn't get you kept your job and you now have all this opportunity, it's not necessarily was it necessarily a direct personal hit to you. Exactly, and again, you're you you know uh, as an analyst, let's be honest, you know the money you're getting is good. You know you, you can't fault it. It is you're you got a flat. You're gonna you know you got you got a job. You're feeding yourself. You got your dinners at work anyway. Yeah. Um, you don't have much overhead, so it's it's not it's not a big problem. And 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 I think that's the other thing to just remember around this. It's it's you know, at the beginning, it, it, it's not it's not the money game at the beginning. Of right? course, always yeah. look to the later years. Um, and uh, and yes, the opportunity was there. So if somebody asked me, would you want to change at that point in time, or because everything had changed? No, now was the opportunity to grab chance to be much more beyond what, what I was working at. You know, I was an analyst too, and now I could be an, an associate or VP kind of a character, lead executions directly. And I, and I grabbed that opportunity and my, you, did. my MD, you started doing that right away. Correct. And my MD was supportive there as well. Um, mentoring, helping me clearly, you know, he also had uh, to roll up his sleeves. Um, yeah. But then again, we're in the middle of a, one of the worst crises ever. So um, he was in most probably a very similar mode, you know, happy. He was still there. Everything was working out and he could push on. So, um, you know, it was a, it was just a kind of get it done kind of attitude, which, uh, which was, which was great. Um, did your hours kind of go up after those cuts or do you think? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. there was an element of, of clearly less business in, in equity capital markets because right. initially the IPO no work IPO. obviously came, came right. to a complete standstill, yeah. but then, in Europe, we do a lot of uh, rights issue work, recap work for for all of the banks, uh, recap work for some of um, you know bigger corporates. Who can you explain what recap? Can you explain what recap work is to people? Who sure. Don't? Well, re- recaps are recapitalization. So you're basically reestablishing the equity base, raising equity capital um, in in big size. So one of the larger transactions we we did was actually for Volkswagen, mm-hmm. VW. Um, back then, uh, uh, you know. Are, like, sec- are you talking about like se- secondary offerings and stuff? Secondary or? offering, that's correct. Yeah, so okay. in typically in Europe, there are two ways to do it. You do an accelerated overnight offering and you do it in a quick accelerated book build. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the first transactions I worked on was actually that one was a one and a half billion M&A financing done for Conti, Continental, the, the German auto supplier when they bought Siemens VDO business, okay. uh, raised one and a half billion euros in about 
30, 40 minutes, um, <laughs> which uh, back in 2007 was obviously a great transaction at the, at the right point in time. Yeah. Um, later, we did a lot more work around um, uh, rights issues. So rights issues are basically a very typical structure in Europe where you, um, where every existing shareholder has a preemptive right uh, to purchase a, a new share at a, at a cheap price. Um, these are obviously great arbitrage opportunities for hedge funds, so that's why they love them. You can go short um, and then cover yourself in the rights issue, um, either with you know cheap rights or or actually new shares. So these uh, these transactions have kind of a, a self fulfilling prophecy work out extremely well. Um, and then also some more funky structures. So in 2010, um, as mentioned, we were helping Volkswagen unravel the Volkswagen Porsche. Um, structure back then. I mean, your listeners will be more familiar with the um, the short squeeze on on GameStop, but back then, 2010, that's the uh, the original uh, short squeeze when um, Volkswagen was one of the most um, valuable companies in the world. Um, when Porsche attempted to uh, to do a takeover, that that didn't really work out with uh, um, with um, um, I'm, I'm looking for the correct word. I mean, it's basic contracts for differences, but uh, total return swaps, TSRs. So derivative structure that gave them um, Porsche nearly um, uh, 30% of, of the shares in Volkswagen that had to be unraveled. So um, that required a, a special structure, a rights issue. Volkswagen was also restructuring themselves to both shoulder you know, the uh, attempted takeover as well as a new strategy. Um, a multi-brand strategy, basically the Volkswagen of today that we're very familiar with, with Audi and Lamborghini and, and Porsche in between the mix, um, that was basically founded in, in those days when, uh, when they had to really kind of reconfigure the, the, the business. So, um, um, yeah, so a lot of the work um, in the years afterwards was recaps. Uh, and then 20, 2010, 2011 also did a big cap increase uh, for Commerce Bank, you know, did a lot of work advising them also, um, obviously on a associate analyst level, I'm not trying to take here any thunder. Um, <laughs> uh, so a lot of it, my work is predominantly actually preparing the, the pitch books and the advisory <laughs> books rather than actually talking, but, um, but clearly a uh, lot of opportunity to meet clients, learn about the clients, um, and especially on the working level, also connect with them. So from there you learn a lot and, and um, look, I think. Uh, How things shift, though? I mean, that's that's year four, year five. Are you still just the only one working with the same exact person? Correct. Correct. Yeah. So obviously wow. now there's analysts below me, there's interns below me, and obviously you start training them up and getting them going. And um, it's the, the magic element. You know, the better you train up your interns and analysts, the quicker you can focus on other stuff than basically, uh, you know, checking spreadsheets and market reports, et cetera. So um, that's a big element part. And that's actually also kind of why I'm, I'm doing this, Patrick, right? Because I do want to, um, I think, uh, uh, you know, I've always enjoyed doing recruiting, I've doing you know, talking about the job, um, highlighting some of the realities rather than just the marketing speak. Um, because I think uh, it is an extremely fulfilling career. Um, it makes it's a, an absolutely fun job. Uh, so much diversity in it, and 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 you know, change every single day. Um, but it's not all like written on on all of our recruitment posters because you know there are there are some hours you are two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, and you need to kick yourself and say, 
the book needs to be done in an hour. Look, fight through the, the tiredness, fatigue, mm-hmm. get there and, and get it done with. And sometimes you get called in on a, on a Saturday or Sunday to work. And back then there were no such thing like protected weekends. Um, and, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd be there on a Saturday afternoon after somebody said, listen, can you take care of a market update for me in the next two, three hours? And that was just natural and normal. Um, you so feel like think, it, it became a little bit better. So you're going 80 plus 90 plus hour weeks. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it was starting to get better. Had some analysts under you, but better. But it still would be some very long nights, obviously, yeah. because you're still there. Um, and I always took the approach that if an analyst in the office uh, and it's not, and then you know, there's some supervision, support, guidance need. It's better if I'm there than if it's just sitting at home, uh, you know, working on BlackBerry, um, because it's more direct, it's more immediate, and then, um, yeah, uh, you know, clarity was there. So. You was all up, eventually events. you became director. Yeah. Right. So VP. tell me about the progression in terms of, yeah. I'd love to hear um, progression in terms of just like years it took for each sure. for title sure. change. Not that it necessarily changed what you were doing day to day right yeah. away, but then also specifically um, how managing people became, it was it, like you said, it sounds like you're pretty hands-on, like you were there with them in the, in the trenches, which is great. Um, and then, Specifically, tell me a little bit about if you can share ranges of pay. It doesn't have to be exact, but just in terms of yeah. like where things, where you saw the big jumps. Yeah, right. sure. Um, look, I think the um, so I I started in two thousand seven. I got promoted to a, to analyst, uh, sorry, to associate in two thousand ten in the summer. Back then, we had um, um, a summer to summer cycle um, for the analyst classes, and then you get promoted to associate, go to New York for training for a week. Um, which was an absolute, you know, brilliant week, clearly, um, uh, because uh, uh, all of the us from London were typically three years into the job, veterans, and we get into these auditoria filled with um, fresh uh, grads from business schools coming in with MBAs, but first job, you know, being associate. And uh, there was a different, diff- definitely change in mentality. A lot of us saw it as a, as a week of holidays. Um, and for a lot of the MBAs, it was a chance of, you know, kicking off the first job. Great, you know, new yeah. experience. Um, so let's just say, let's just say the London, the London kids were typically the one we were in the back row and the ones that <laughs> HR was uh, trying to make sure that we showed up in the morning in, in a more or less uh, presentable state. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll never, I'll never forget one of my guys uh, in the class ran out of, ran out of fresh t-shirts and ended up walking around the last few days with a big fat, you know, I love New York tourist <laughs> t-shirt. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I mean, that, that was, that was some really good days. Um, yeah. So uh, promotion after that half year, you're a kind of a stub year and then you move into the kind of year end uh, January to January cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest jump for me was definitely at associate level where you have a real big jump. You have a two cash payments, basically of the summer bonus, which you get for working hard in your third year. Yep. Exactly. And then you get paid a stub, which was about 30,000 pounds for that um, next half year, for the next half year with exact, absolutely, you know, kind of no kind of um, a performance kind of thing around it. Um, And then you moved on to, to, to analyst progress, associate progression. And again, I think there you go from, let's say about hundred to 150 relatively quickly. Uh, pounds again, TCOM. Yeah. Um, 
So um, um, yeah, I, again, roughly, and again, these numbers might be slightly different in today's world. They're I'm not too sure. higher now, but not not. Yeah, deeply. yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but. Um, and so, the, and, then, and then from there, VP was there another big? It probably not as big a jump in base necessarily, but, a, no. but potentially bonus. I see. It, it, but again, both both starts progressing up con 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 uh, continuously. Um, and VP definitely were some of the uh, clear better years also, because in your career, that's basically when you have a lot of skills, mm -hmm. uh, but a lot less um, focus on PL and and delivery and and you're you're in a uh, in a stage where obviously very focused on retention um, as you progress towards director level. And then director, I guess, um, you're a lot more in, in competition with the other directors um, directly. So once you hit director, there's no more kind of director one, two, three, four in a pay grade perspective because you're basically competing with the potential next MD as a director and therefore you know you're being compared like that. Yeah. Um, which is which is you know a kind of kind of a good thing, but that that obviously is the most significant step. And I'll say when I all, all switches between the levels were relatively straightforward, almost mechanic, until I got to director. That's where really now, um, I think, uh, it used to be MD where it was, you know, when I started, people said analyst to associate and director to MD are the two complicated ones. Everything in between is mechanic. Yeah. Um, I think it's changed as far as it's now a lot more under review. People are much more mobile. There's a lot more looking. Is there, you know, potential really... Um, good talent that you want to move quicker through the ranks and um, vice versa. Other it's people not as like, structured now. There's, they're actually looking at the individual and saying, hey, should we accelerate this person so we don't lose them? Or, or vice versa. Should we, yeah. should we hold somebody yeah. back because maybe, maybe something's missing there, yeah. which, uh, which is an interesting difference because I think some of us still have the mentality you have to move on, you know, otherwise it doesn't really work out. And at the yeah. same time, uh, it just doesn't you know, happen at the same pace like it used to be. So you, you mentioned PL. Tell me about yeah. in terms of like equity capital markets. What is that? But that obviously it means like bringing in your own business. But how did right. you? Were you starting that a little bit as a VP? I mean, obviously you're getting a ton of client interaction at that point. Right. Um, are the MDs like letting you handle some of that, um, or is it more like, hey, you have to go drum up your own business? And how do you even do that? Yeah, yeah. No, no. I think I think it's um, obviously at a larger institution, a bulge bracket like City. You're, you're not looking at something where a VP is forced to step out every single day and, and say, you know, what did you do with your clients? You're building up long-term relationships. If you, if you execute a deal for a private equity house, you will know the people there. You'd be the principal or, or potentially even the partner, if you're lucky, uh, be having enough interaction. And they will remember you. So when the next pitch comes around and you're on the page, somebody will say, oh, look, I know that person. I remember that was great execution. The deal worked out very nicely for us. That's how it comes together. Um, and yes, obviously, you know, the request is be out there, think about it, you know, what kind of business can we, you're expected today as a, let's say, VP associate to start being smart and start thinking about originating deals as well. It doesn't mean necessarily, you know, you have the link to the senior partner because realistically you won't have it. It's more a question of, are you part of the origination effort? Are you keeping up to speed? Are you asking your MD, VP, director, whoever's above you, hey, have we actually checked out the situation recently? Or, hey, this is news flow. You know, send it around the team. Guys, should we do something here? Um, or, you know, 
but you're not actually like they're not giving you a team or any resources to actually do anything until you're as a director maybe as a director correct yeah. Yeah. yeah but as a vp it's less it's less common that they're giving you any sort of analyst resources or anything i would i would there are the analyst resources there but you're kind of more in an interaction of you know we're working together on something rather than a a reporting line almost kind of kind of situation yeah yeah fair okay so you're and then pay up into director i assume the bonuses get really big um which is great <laughs> um so yeah i'd love to just uh hear about that kind of final stage for you how was it is was it yeah. difficult for you i mean because you, you sounded like you were pretty hands-on and liked the operational kind of aspect yeah of yeah nature well but i think i think that that everybody has their own style and everybody should develop their own style. You need to know what you like. I I always try to be very hand-on with, with down to the analysts, you know, trying to understand what's going on. Other people are more, you know, some of my other peers are much more, you know, handed off to a, to a VP or, or associate, um, potentially not there. Um, I, I think there's always a benefit in a team understanding what's going on, on you know, every every down to every junior understanding what are we trying to achieve it's not always possible because everybody's super busy and and people are sometimes extremely underwater mm -hmm. but it the, the ultimately that that is the goal that every last person in the team should understand what their role is and yeah you're not you're maybe you're not picking up the phone to ceo cfo and hell, i'm not gonna, i'm not doing that either but you know and and uh, even as an analyst you're you have valuable input in getting something done um, no matter what, because you're a resource, you're supporting an overall effort and, and making sure, for example, you know, pitch book is still putting thoughts on the piece of paper, right? It is um, a sales material. It is the product ultimately of the, of the analyst to produce a, a pitch book. Um, and, and that is such an important element of, of, of the marketing effort of a, of a bulge bracket bank. I don't want to keep you around too much longer, yeah. but I, I, one thing that kind of strikes me is just it's super rare nowadays to see a run like yours of, you know, over a decade at one firm. Do you feel like things are changing? Like that's going to be much more rare, even more rare going forward? Or do you feel like there's still going to be people like you that kind of come up through the ranks and, and any specific thoughts of why you stuck around so much? I mean, maybe it was timing and it, that kind of the uh, middle middle ranks kind of opened up because of the great financial crisis and it was the perfect kind of runway but i would love to just hear your perspective on that sure um do i think do i think it's more uncommon i don't i don't think so necessarily um i i know a number of people across the organization that have been there yeah i would say from the people who started off the 100 people in my first analyst class the 70 in my associate class there aren't many there um but you know one of the guys now, our head of head of syndicate at that city right now in Europe is is uh, was my analyst class. We started off together, um, so you know five percent, six percent, maybe ten percent are still within the organization somewhere, um, and that has lots of reasons, right? Personal reasons. Some people leave the industry just because they've had it, or they have a different opportunity, or they'd like to move to something completely different. Um, some do it consciously on health reasons, clearly, right? Which is which is something you, you people just just do nowadays, and it's fine. Um, uh, we had people leaving during, after one year, just saying it's just not my thing. And to be honest, it's great to see that kind of honesty, self honesty, just saying, look, I just, I just can't, I don't want to do it. I just, it. It's not what I what I feel happy with. Um, others obviously take exit opportunities, be it, you know, into the uh, hedge fund or, or private equity world. 
Um, I don't think there's just one path through it. And I think, you know, sometimes what's dangerous is a kind of an expectation. There is no, you know, you do two years of this, two years of that, and then you end up afterwards at Blackstone or KKR or something like that. They're, you know, they're not waiting for you, right? So ultimately, it's about doing the right things for yourself as you progress with it. For me, one of the things was I never felt urged or in, in too much, um, yeah, too, too strongly to about moving ship, right? Because it would be different place, um, more or less the same people you anyway deal with, um, slightly more pay maybe, maybe a year quicker, but up, up the ranks. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I felt comfortable and I, I, I like the organization. I, I love the city. I mean, it's a, it's a great place. Um, got a great career out of it and uh, met a lot of people. And, and that's ultimately what, what, what was important for me. Yeah, so It actually takes a lot of confidence to do that because oftentimes people will jump, um, but you can end up rocking the boat and actually, you know, you think it's better over in the other area and that specific group you go there and then suddenly you're, your boss is, ends up being worse or whatnot, <laughs> um, or, you know, you get more demanding, it becomes more demanding or, or worse. They don't, they, they don't view you as, as um, positively, you know, you don't know what the dynamics are going to be like or the policy. It can, it can go in all different directions, right? I think the most important thing is, and the other thing is obviously I had a, had a great mentor with the MD that I was working with. Exactly. Um, he's now the head of ECM at one of the European banks. Wow. Uh, I didn't follow him. Um, but I had, a, I had an immense amount I learned from it, super grateful what he did. And ultimately, you know, I felt really comfortable. I just thought I can't change that. Right. So I had, so was, I that, a, was the move for you and it fair, you don't have to share if you're not comfortable, there's the move, you don't have to say where you're going, but was the move for you kind of the, the start of the process of kind of starting to look, was it more around losing that mentor? Um, no, not necessarily. I think it's also just getting my own feet. Um, there's a number of personal issues to, um, moving, moving, uh, geographically. Um, so it, it all comes together. And again, it was the right thing to do for me, uh, to, um, you know, to start, um, to, 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 to change my position and, and move on. Mm -hmm. So, um, from that perspective, really, um, yeah, a, a conscious decision, and looking forward to the future. So that's what that's in similar role. So it's just going to be a similar role somewhere else. It's going to be a similar role. Exactly. Okay. Very cool. So yeah, you, you more, to more to follow on my, uh, on my LinkedIn at some point. For sure. For sure. No, we appreciate that. Anything else before we call anything else, any other you know, words of wisdom you'd like to share for the younger audience kind of looking at their. So I, I typically, I have, I have two or three things, do's and don'ts maybe that I, that I've picked up over the years. And it, it starts off with, uh, you know, the whole topic of how do you reach out on LinkedIn to people and ask questions, which is by the way, not a bad thing, but I wouldn't expect too much of a positive reaction to that because, um, um, a lot of people just ignore it or just don't respond. So you'll feel bad about it. Number two, Sometimes the approaches are so badly fumbled. I mean, people just reach out, send me a CV and say, please review. It's like, that's not my job. Now I've got a day job. It's I, I, I need to do banking business. I get that. I get that a lot. Sometimes see people say, please review. Yeah, exactly. like give me come feedback and sometimes i you know, if it's, if there's a certain a message along with it, that makes sense. I will. I, I agree. But, but there's, but just consider, I mean, all, we all have real jobs out there and, and as much as we're approachable, maybe on LinkedIn, it seems so that's not networking. 
Um, networking really what makes a difference is go to the recruitment event because if I go somewhere, I've taken out consciously half a day or a day um, to spend time with, with students and potential recruits, make an impact. Don't talk about, you know, first question should not be, uh, how can I shortcut? Can I become an associate tomorrow? No, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it, you know, there are set, there are set targets by the, um, by the, uh, by the banks. Uh, the recruitment process are relatively, um, you know, uh, firm in that sense. Uh, if you're an undergrad, you're going to end up an analyst. If you've got an MBA, you become an associate. It's, it is what it is. You know what? You're two years uh, of three years of hard work, and you'll be in the same position without a business school uh, or a debt or anything like that. So that's that's something positive to look forward to. At least at least in Europe, I'm aware US is slightly different. Yeah. Um, then prepare yourself for for interviews. Right. There's nothing worse than um, having people come in not 100 sure what city does, for example, or, you know, potentially even saying, oh, I've been to 20 other banks. That's great. I know when you're going to interview other banks, it's fine, but at least give me the illusion that you've just come for this one here today. <laughs> um, what's very important is uh, as interviewer, uh, I don't spend much time obviously looking at the CVs because I've always been working. So make sure you have a, a one minute pitch. When you start, you should be able to talk immediately who you are, why you're here, what your what's the key things, and we can dive into all, all the other things. Um, be interesting. I think that's an important tip. You know, um, I got uh, you know hired at City on the basis of being able to talk about my archaeology degree. Um, so the extracurricular can be a way to connect with your interviewer in an extremely good way. Uh, which means please don't you know come up with crazy stuff, but. Everybody is the um, chairman or chairwoman at their finance club. Um, and then if you talk to me about the finance club investing in Apple or Tesla, uh, you know, that's that's too standard. You know, talk about some you know, really interesting and show why you're brilliant and all that. Mm. Um, and uh, last but not least, you know, don't take don't take a rejection as a disappointing point or anything. Move on. You know what? Uh, in, in the business, you'll have lots of times you're going to lose a pitch and you're going to have to just create the next pitch book for the next day because that's how the business works. So uh, if you're struggling to deal with rejection at the start, you're, you're never going to be a good banker. <laughs> for sure. I love that, Chris. Thanks so much for, for your time and sharing all your wisdom. Sure. And good luck with your, with your next step. Thank you very much, Patrick. Hear you soon. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.